0: the good news but it is and the thing is that uh, the good news wouldn't be good if the discipline was not there and we have to understand that so what happens in the church if we say that God is going to discipline us or your father comes in and he says son come here or daughter come here I want to discipline you. Is that good news or bad news? So what do we usually associate discipline with? What do we usually think of when we think of somebody? If we're going to have discipline, what do we usually think of? Come on, help me here. Pain, Pain, suffering. (laughs) What else? Negative. 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 But it's not, is it? Is discipline a negative thought? Um. Actually, the words both Old and New Testament that talk about discipline start off uh, originally meaning education. So sometimes we look at education as a discipline in a negative way. But what it means is that God is training, God is guiding, He's instructing, He's correcting, He's punishing. And so it does carry over into some of those what we experience as negative things. And yet, the goal, the purpose of all of that is to encourage, to build up, to strengthen, to guide, to direct, to make us better people, to help us grow in wisdom and knowledge and understanding and to be able to lead peaceful, quiet, productive lives. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Being the image of God. So it's, it's meant to strengthen and to teach obedience. Now, how important is this well, let's just in the New Testament, the word disciple, which is the human side of discipline, isn't it? You can't be a disciple without discipline. Did you get that? You cannot be a disciple without discipline. The word disciples occurs 269 times in the New Testament. The word Christian occurs three times. And each time, each of the three times the word Christian occurs, it refers to the disciples. A disciple is a person who is a follower, a student. And so Jesus calls people to be his disciples. Um, so when he talks to Peter or James or John or Andrew or Thaddeus or any of the other disciples and he says, I want you to be my disciples, did they look at that as, oh no? <laughs> Oh no, (laughs) go be a disciple. That means there's going to be pain and suffering. Woe is me. No, man, they they left everything. They left everything gladly, willingly to follow this man, to be his disciple, to be under his discipline. Now, this is where we have a problem um, in the church because the scriptures talk to us about spiritual disciplines. And these are things that if we're going to be a disciple, if we're going to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, these are the things that God puts within our life to help us, encourage us. And, you know, they're not negative things. I'm just going to, I'm going to list a few of them. Um, first one is prayer. Prayer according to the will of God, prayer in the Spirit. A common phrase nowadays is praying with the mind in the heart. Um, So prayer, it's a discipline. That means that we do it regularly, not when we're in trouble or when we're in need or when we want something. It means that it's a part of our everyday life. Reading the scriptures, hiding the word in our thoughts and our lives, experiencing the cleansing of our spirit and the impartation of life through God's word meditating and contemplation that means to think on these things to take it to heart to consider it to think about it intentionally and deliberately on a regular basis fasting that's self-denial where we open our hearts our eyes and our ears to the Lord Uh, We don't like that one because we're in a consumer society that says take what you want as much as you want and pamper yourself in every way. But fasting has to do with self-denial and we don't like to hear about it. Giving. Time, talent, resources, money. Simple lifestyle. It's a discipline. Worship. Hospitality witness. These are just a few of the disciplines in a Christian's life. That's part of the instruction, part of the growth, the development, part of the things that help us to grow and become stronger and mature. And Paul writes to the churches and he says, I have to write to you not as mature but as immature because you haven't progressed in these areas. You're still a little baby in the Lord. Uh, How long have you known the Lord? 30 years? 30 years? And yet, is this a part of your life? So if you were an athlete, um, and you went out for the team, and the coach says, okay, we're going to have to do these calisthenics. And you say, oh, man, I'm tired. I don't feel like doing that. I don't want to do that. Would you do it? You would if you wanted to stay on the team. <laughs> That's part of the discipline. Is the coach doing it because he's mean? Well, sometimes. <laughs> oh, he's doing it to, to get you strong, to, to, to strengthen you, to encourage you. And how do you become good at something? How do you become good at something? How do you, be, how do you become a good piano player, Ann? Oh, uh, Norm, you used to play football. How'd you become a good football player? Uh, did you practice once every now and then? or? <laughs> okay, so it's not a thing that you do because you feel like it. It's a thing that you do and you do it on a very regular basis. It's a disciplined part of your life. It recreates, it trains your muscles if you're an athlete If you're studying all the time and and reading, uh, if that's where your interest is, it exercises your mind, becomes stronger, more able to do things. It's through the repetition, the practice, the discipline that we become proficient and good at what we're called to do. Now, here's the problem in the church, though. In Matthew chapter 28, this is the, the Great Commission. And I want us to look at it anew to see what it says. The Great Commission, in Matthew 28, after the resurrection, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, getting ready to leave. Jesus is, that is. He says, "...all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. What he said, literally, is go disciple the nations. Literally, that's what the word says. Go disciple the nations. Go train, uh, encourage, help them to grow. Take this message to the nations. And what is that message that they're supposed to train them in? Teaching them to obey God's commands. So in the great commission, it's the making disciples, it's the discipline that is the great omission in the church today. That's the part that we've neglected. The spiritual disciplines that help us grow. The persistent, consistent repetitions on a daily basis. The redirecting our habits, our desires, our goals toward the things which God has intended us to have. And um, so what's happened is we've we've gotten things upside down in the church. There's a double-sidedness to conversion. Um discipline is the fruit of conversion and not the root. Sometimes we think we have to discipline ourselves and go through all of these things in order to become a Christian, and that's not true. That's where we failed. That's where we got things backwards. But it's because we know the Lord that these things become prominent in our life. Uh, in Africa, parts of Africa, they have these things called a Baobab tree. Are you all familiar with the Baobab tree? It's, um, it's, it's the uh, A big, huge tree grows to be a big, huge tree. It's where we get cream of tartar from. Some of you ladies who cook know about cream of tartar. It comes from that tree. It's mostly cream of this this baobab trees. They look like something out of a Dr. Seuss book. And if you look at it, it looks like somebody took a tree and ripped it up out of the by its roots and stuck it back in the ground upside down. And the roots are sticking up. That's what that tree looks like. It's a weird. It's a weird-looking tree. In Tanzania, there's whole forests of them up up inside, down the hills. And it's these big trees. They're very, very uh, big around. And then they have these little scraggly, looks like roots sticking up in the air. And that's what many of us look like in our Christian life, heads in the ground, uh, trying to take everything for ourselves, and neglecting the roots from which we get everything from the Lord so discipline is the fruit of conversion we're supposed to be rooted like a root uh, from a plant he takes from god as the roots take from the soil and we're to be built up in the lord so we've we've gotten these things upside down so the word discipline means um, it's the word we use for um, education learning nurture training up children correcting them It's a family word. It can also be the word that suggests severe discipline. When Pilate said he was going to whip, beat, scourge Jesus before he was crucified, he said, I'm going to discipline him. So that's a little different kind of discipline. But it's the same word. And so it can be something that's either... uh, non-threatening, or it can be a very painful thing. I wonder what determines whether it's painful or not. It often depends upon what's going on within us. So discipline is the other side of discipleship. Discipline makes us more sensitive to the still, small voice of God. If you looked at somebody and they were doing something and you would look at them and you would say, that's absurd. What would we mean by that? That's an absurd thing to do. It means, contrary to reason, obviously inconsistent with the truth, something that in other language we would say is stupid. But the word absurd actually means deaf. That's what it comes from. It means deaf. So it means that we cannot hear. On the other hand, the word obedient is a word that literally means listening. And it's the spiritual discipline that helps us move from an absurd life to an obedient life. From being deaf To the voice of God to listening and obedience to that voice some of us live our lives as and it's an an absurd way because we're not hearing what God is saying to us and we're not obeying what he wants for us and then we wonder why life is hard book of Proverbs says a man's own folly ruins his life but his heart rages against God a guy called me the other day and uh, was telling me about a brother that he was concerned about. And he said, my brother is in a mess. Uh, he's left his family uh, because he's violent and uh, very aggressive and he's been having affairs. So he's, he's left his wife and he's not welcome at, at his home. He's not welcome in the homes of his children. Uh, he's an addict and he's up here and he is very, very angry at God. <laughs> Why is he angry at God? What would you think he would be angry at God for? I'm not getting my way. I want to live in sin and have God bless me. And then when he doesn't, then we're angry at God. That's an absurd way to live a life. It really is. It means we're deaf. Jesus was always listening to his Father, always attentive to his voice and always obedient. So a spiritual discipline is a concentrated effort to create some inner and outer space in our lives where where obedience can be practiced. It sets us free to pray, allows the Holy Spirit of God to pray in us and through us. It's what God is wanting to do within our heart and life. Character is developed and revealed through testing. Do you believe that? Now, that's what the scripture tells us over and over again. Character is developed and revealed through testing. So you're an honest person. How do you know you're honest? Character, yeah, but how do you know that character is there? How do you know that you're honest? Uh, Anybody can be honest if there's no temptation, right? It's when you're in really, really great need and the opportunity to take something that's not yours to meet that need or the needs of someone that's close to you, what are you going to do then? Are you an honest person or not? Are you going to be truthful? How do you know you're truthful? You'll never know until it's put to the test, are you? Uh, The disciples made promises to Jesus in the upper room. I will lay down my life for you. Lord, everybody else may run away and hide, but I will be with you. I am am with you. Jesus said, "Uh, no, before the morning, you all are going to deny me and run away. And they said, no, you don't know what you're talking about. We are with you here we've spent the last three and a half years walked away from our jobs, our homes we're here with you, we've been with you through all this we are with you and then a few hours later in the garden of Gethsemane they all ran for their lives character how do we know what's in us until we're confronted until it's challenged how do we grow is it an easy thing no, it's the hardest thing we'll ever do in our life And to do that consistently, are you a pure person? How do you know? What do you look at? What do you do? How do you live your life? When the challenge is there and when the temptation is great and everything within you wants to and tells you you ought to do that, three times in the book of Proverbs, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but it ends in death. Seems right, ought to be right, it's what I want it to be right. But we have to start from where we are, not where we wish we were. And we need to be honest. And we're not being honest with God, and we're not being honest with ourselves, and so we live lies. And we never know that until those things are challenged. Paul told the church at Corinth, he said, You need to be careful. Bad company corrupts good character be careful who your friends are Um, do they say words that are good words to hear and to practice do they go to good places do they good do good deeds and good things when you're with them if not they're no friend of yours they will kill you maybe not directly but they will entice you into things that will ruin your life and they are not your friend So we need to look to Jesus and be like him. Well, that's an easy thing to do, right? Easy, easy road, easy way to live. Jesus is God in the flesh. He can do and be whatever he wants to do and be. And he can make other people do anything he wants them to. He's God. He can manipulate situations. He can manipulate people. He can change the desires of their heart to get them to do what you want them to do. He could do all of those things. Did he? No. So the writer of Hebrews says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. How does he perfect our faith? Our faith will not grow until it's challenged. It's like a muscle that has to be exercised, has to be worked in order for it to grow and to strengthen and become strong. It says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men... Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Writing to the church. Said, so look, our example is Jesus. He's our example so that we don't grow weary in the discipline of our daily walk with God. And we don't lose heart or become discouraged. Did you ever go on a diet? And you're trying not to eat and you're trying to do all this stuff and you get on the scales and uh oh. <laughs> It hasn't moved. (laughs) And you're trying real hard and maybe you're trying to exercise and you're trying to do what's right and you come back and you get on the scale again and uh, it hasn't moved. (laughs) And you get weary and you get a little discouraged and you might as well sit down and let's go have some chocolate or a big dessert or whatever, you know, that kind of deal. And so he says, no, we need to keep our eyes focused upon Jesus. In your struggle against sin... You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Have you ever shed your blood as you're trying to overcome a temptation that you're facing? Why does he say that? Look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's in the wintertime. It's cold enough that Peter is going to risk being identified and crucified with Jesus. Peter's cold enough, he's going to go over by a fire to warm his hands early in the morning. And he's going to do it more than once. It's cold. Jesus is praying, and he's sweating. And he's not just sweating, he's sweating, his sweat is coming down like great drops of blood. And he's going to go to the cross, and he's going to take that. And so he says, we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, and he says, if we're going to compare ourselves to somebody, we look to him. Have you resisted temptation to the point of shedding your blood? I haven't. And you have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. Now, notice what he says. He says, this is a word of encouragement to you. God is treating you as his sons and daughters. What about Jesus? Though he were a son, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered and you or I are ch- children of God and he's going to treat us like his sons and how, how are we going to learn but it's not, a, it's not a thing meant to destroy it's not a meant to uh, discourage us in any way it's, this is a word of encouragement and listen his, here's the encouraging word In your struggle against sin, uh, no, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves. Now, David was talking with these children up here and he was talking to them about discipline. Every one of them had been disciplined and every one of them knew that their parents loved them. And they didn't see that that was inconsistent because it's not. It's the people who don't love their children who never discipline them because they're ruining their life. And when we don't discipline our children in a positive way, then we're setting them up for failure. The Lord... Disciplines those he loves, and he punishes every one he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. Well, that's good news. For what son is not disciplined by his father? Except the ones who don't care? Except the ones who aren't there. You know? It's one thing to to be a father in the sense of producing children, it's another thing to be a father who's there to discipline and care and provide and protect and be an example to. Those are two very, very different things, aren't they? So this is a God who loves us. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. And it's interesting, in the book of Malachi, last thing that God said for 400 years, he was addressing the priest and he says to the priests, if I am a father, where is the honor due unto me? Because they were playing games with God. They were offering blemish sacrifices and keeping the best for themselves. They were not reverencing God. They were not honoring Him. And many of us, even in the church, think we can get away with that. And we can't. So God asked them, and He asks us, if I am your father, if we are children of God, where is the respect? Where is the worship? Where is the, the reverence? Where is the discipline in our life that show that we are His children? We have all had human fathers. They disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. That's an incredible statement. That we might share in the holiness of God. Peter talks to the church, 2 Peter chapter 1. And he said, God has provided everything we need that we might be participators, partakers of the divine nature. That we can be like God. That's why the discipline. And it will not come without it. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The righteousness and peace is not automatic. It's a result of a living, a living relationship with God. We can't say, okay, Lord, um, I came down and said a prayer one time, a long time ago, and now I can sit down here and I'm going to have all the peace and righteousness, all the blessings and goodness of God... And I can just sit here and relax and do what I want and feed myself and take care of my selfish desires and get everybody to do what I want them to do for me. And um, if I don't want them around, then I'll just leave. And that's okay, God, and you and me, right? Because I made a commitment way down, way back there in those years. Ah, made a what? A commitment. Self-control is one of the evidences one of the fruit of the spirit and why is it even in Christian homes um, we don't have any it must be because there's a problem in the relationship if a person gets a divorce it's because the relationship was broken a long time ago and we shouldn't be shocked at the divorce if we look at the relationship so it's the relationship that's the key so he says this is a Hebrews 12 therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees when you start exercising and if you keep at it and if you do it long enough you get up and you're all trembling you ever done that you're all trembling, you're shaky. But you know you've gotten to exercise and you know you're going to be stronger next time. And uh, next time, if you keep doing that, after a while, you can do those things that made you all trembly, and you're not even breathing hard yet because you're growing stronger, becoming better uh, at what you're doing. And so he says, keeping our eyes on Jesus... Submitting to the discipline of a loving God who is concerned for us. Strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. So Proverbs 4, verse 25 through 27 Talks a lot about this. And the book of Proverbs has been a neglected book, and we need to spend a lot of time in the book of Proverbs as an individual. Uh, It's a very practical book. Uh, It's the how to of the Christian life. And it's talking about discipline, and it's talking about choices that we make and consequences that come. And it's very, very good advice. And if we would read this book and take to heart what it says, um, we would spare ourselves a lot of sorrow and a lot of guilt and shame and heartache. So this is actually what he uh, is quoting here in the book of Hebrews. Uh, This is Proverbs 4, verse 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in. It's the same word in the New Testament when God says to his son... At his baptism, later on at the transfiguration, this is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. He is delighting in his son, and he's wanting everybody to know this is my son. This is the one. He's pleasing me in everything that he does. Does God delight in you? Does he delight in me? We are his children. And he longs to express that love to us. Make level paths for your feet. In other words, take only ways that are firm. Do not turn to the right or to the left. And so we should be able, as we're walking on the the path of our life, to become stronger, inwardly stronger stronger in our faith, stronger in our love, stronger in our commitment. When we're committed to the Lord, then we become committed to each other. And if there's no commitment to each other, it's because there's no commitment to God. And we are living in a generation and in a culture that hates commitment of any kind. So we don't uh, practice the disciplines anymore. So the book of Hebrews and the book of James, they tell us that it's through this discipline, uh, Peter talks about it, Paul talks about it, the book of Hebrews talks about it, it's through this discipline, this struggle, this daily walk with the Lord, that we, our, our faith and our relationship with God is perfected, brought to completion, maturity, and obedience. These are the things that happen when we begin walking with God Consistently and regularly so where are we today uh, the Lord loves us and so he disciplines us he leads us in ways that will purify he leads us in ways that will correct that will strengthen encourage us make us strong and in the end the fruit that we receive that we receive from him is righteousness and peace no guilt No shame. Um, Knowing who God is, and it's only when we know who He is that we discover who we are. And we can't love anybody else until we get that right. It's impossible. So, it's in the discipline of the Lord as He corrects us. Um, He does that by convicting us, sending the Holy Spirit to apply His Word to our hearts that's why we don't like to read it but what happens as these disciplines take over in in your life then it becomes something that you look forward to and something that you enjoy and it's not a task anymore it's a privilege it's not a, a, a hardship it's the thing that makes you strong and circumstances may still be difficult but as you're going through it you're not going through it by yourself and each step of the way, you're drawing closer and closer to Him, and He's changing us from the inside, making us more and more like Him. And um, that's a very powerful thing, and it's a very beautiful thing. And um, it's not this drudgery thing, it's something that you enjoy. Do you ever have a job that you go to that you look forward to going every day? Man, I'm enjoying this, I'm learning, I'm growing. It's it's just doing something. It's feeding me inside. And I am glad to go. That's what our jobs ought to be. They ought to be that way. If you're doing something you hate, you ought to be doing something else. If you're doing something that drags you down or makes you less than a person, you need a new job. Uh What's the use of spending 30, 40, 50 years of your life doing something that you hate? Good grief. That's a miserable way to live. You ought to enjoy what you're doing. Be able to look back with pride and say, man, this is what was done. And God did that through me. And God is doing this in me. It's a a privilege. It's a joy to be here and to do that. That's what it should be. Now, there are days when that's not true of anybody. (laughs) But that's part of the discipline, isn't it? It's when you do it when you don't feel like it, when you go when you don't want to be there. It's when you do it when you're You'd rather be somewhere else or with someone else. That's when the discipline comes in. And if we continue to do that, honor those commitments then the blessings and the rewards are there. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful. But these are not just words. This is life to us. And thank you that you just didn't write it in a book. You came and you walked among us and lived among us and showed us and then you died on the cross and rose again to make it a reality in our hearts and in our lives help us Lord to recognize that as children of God we can submit to your loving discipline that education that growth that development that will make us into the kind of people that you created us to be sons and daughters created in the image and likeness of God people through whom all the rest of the world will be blessed because of your presence in us in that situation. So, Lord, help us to be what you've called us to be. Work within us. Change the desires of our heart that we might (laughs) desire what you desire to do what you do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.